Welcome to this week's episode of the HC Hive, a podcast about all things HCI, UX, and grad school. We're now in Hershali, students in Georgia Tech's Human Computer Interaction Program. In this episode, we will be chatting about being an international student studying HCI. We have three guests with us today, Niharika, Jay, and Eileen. Let's begin with a round of introductions, as usual. Niharika, why don't you start us off? Uh, my name is Niharika Mathur. Um, I'm from India, and I moved to the U.S. in August of 2019 to pursue a master's degree in human-computer interaction. Before this, I was an undergrad, so I'm right out of undergrad. I went to undergrad in a school called Velour Institute of Technology in the south part of India. I grew up in the, in the north part of India in a city called Jaipur. And I went to school there. Um, and then for my undergrad, I went to Velour to study computer science and engineering. I'm Jay Kim, and I'm from South Korea. And I came to the United States in 2012 when I was eighth grader. So it's been like 13 years for me. For eighth grade, I was in Oregon, and I also spent four years of high school in Vermont. And I did my undergrad at Georgia Tech as an industrial design major. And then right after my undergrad, I just joined the HCI grad program at Georgia Tech as well. Hello, everyone. I'm Eileen, Eileen Lee. I'm originally from Shanghai, China, and I came to the States in 2015 for undergrad. So prior to coming to Georgia Tech, I studied psychology and mathematics at Vermont College, a really small liberal arts women's college in Pennsylvania. And then after undergrad, I came to Georgia Tech for the master's program in human-computer interaction and now I'm the second year. Hey, great. Uh, well, thanks for joining us, everyone. I'm really excited to hear a lot of different backgrounds represented um, within this group today. To start us off, uh, why don't you all tell us a little bit about why you decided to come to Georgia Tech to study HCI? Um, so Jay, would you like to start us off? I, I think I have two different answers. So first is I just wanted to continue my design education after my undergrad because I thought it was not sufficient just from the ID uh, undergrad study. So I continued to do that. And the second answer is like when I was about to graduate in December 2018, I wasn't able to find a job opportunity near my graduation. So as a ID major, you only have one year of OPT, which is like a extension visa that you can work for. Since ID is not part of STEM, it only gives you like one year. Although this HCI program gives you like uh, three years maximum, one year and then plus two years of extension. So I thought it was a better opportunity for me to just continue the grad program. And it's a, it's a much safer choice for me. Thanks for um, sharing that with us. Yeah, it's unfortunate that you didn't have that opportunity to find that job after ID, but we are happy to have you in the program here with us in HCI. Eileen, would you like to share your decision to come to Georgia Tech as well? Sure. So I think my story is a little bit long. So I used to be a psychology major, and then I was involved in a lot of cognitive science research back then. And I thought that I would just continue my path to pursue a PhD degree in cognitive science or cognitive psychology. But in my senior year in college, I changed my mind. So I felt like the research life cycle in academia was a little bit too long for me. 
and I feel like there is something missing from me just staying in the lot. And I actually wanted to talk to real people, a lot of people outside of the lab and see the immediate impact of my work. But I still wanted to do research. So that's like when I searched online about different opportunities and found out about human computer interaction and UX research. And I applied to Georgia Tech the HCI program because it also had a focus on psychology, which is something I really love. Nice. Yeah, great. that uh, I think we all agree that it's nice to um, interact with people outside of our own labs and just interact with different people in general. But that's great. Yeah, we're happy to have you. Um, and then lastly, Naharika, would you like to share why you came to Georgia Tech? I think there are two chronological events that happened. The first is essentially deciding to actually do HCI after computer science. For me, that was a very, a big trigger for wanting to do HCI was a lack of the emphasis on users in a very traditional computer science education. And it might be slightly dependent on where you're studying, but for my undergrad, I found that a lot of emphasis was given to how to build things, but there wasn't much talk of why are you building things or who are you building it for, or are they even liking it? So I, I always found myself throughout my undergrad years just wondering about what the implications of what we are doing is, whether it's on like the users that we're doing it for, or if it's like on the environment or just in general, like why are we doing what we are doing? So essentially that's why I got, that's how I got introduced to human computer interaction. And that's why I wanted to study human computer interaction. So once I decided that, that's when I started looking for colleges and anyone who's ever done a search for the best HCI colleges, Georgia Tech is right up there in, as one of the best colleges. And like Eileen said, I really like that they had a particular emphasis on tracks. And it's it's fortunate that the tracks, even though there is a distinction between the tracks, there's not like if I'm in the interactive computing track, I can't really take courses from other other tracks or something. So I think the interdisciplinary structure of the program at Georgia Tech really attracted me, aside from obviously Georgia Tech's reputation as one of the best schools for HCI. Yeah, that's great. Um, thanks for sharing like how you kind of found out about this specific program and then also like how you gravitated towards HCI. But before we move on to our next question, Jay, I just wanted to ask really quickly, you mentioned that um, you did your undergrad at Georgia Tech um, in ID, but what made you decide to focus specifically on HCI for your master's? Mm. So throughout the four years of ID undergrad, I was only able to focus on physical product design, even though the last two years before graduation, some professors gave us some opportunities to explore like some digital product design and stuff like that. But, you know, mostly it's more focused on physical product design, like designing a chair or, you know, designing a pen, desktop, stuff like that. So I didn't have any, like a lot of chances to think about like UX design or some mobile apps or desktop apps, stuff like that. So here in HCI, I think I have more chances to explore those fields, I think. Very cool. Yeah, I think all, all three of you kind of mentioned how like HCI provided something that you guys generally find in either undergrad or like other experiences that you have. So it's really interesting to hear how you guys kind of came to this program. But it's also really cool that all three of you sort of came to the United States and were students kind of at different points in your life. Uh, Jay, you came here in eighth grade and you did high school here. Eileen, you came and did undergrad here and then now graduate school. And then Niharja, you came just for graduate school. So I like that sort of gradient that we 
we have. So thinking about the cultural shift from your past educational experiences to school here, what do you think was like the biggest challenge you faced as an international student and where were kind of those things that you had to learn or reorient yourself with? Eileen, why don't you start us off with this one? Yeah, I think for me, one thing I realized that was like a culture shock for me when I first came to the States for school is that people are really expressive in classrooms and I feel like maybe people in the States are just like in general more expressive than Chinese people. We have a saying in China in China that like sinks three times before you put something into action. But I feel like people here in the classroom, because um, I had a lot of like seminar structured classes in my undergrad, I feel like people, when a professor ever raised a question and people thought really quickly and then they like have so many thoughts about a topic and for me I usually I just like sit there and I start thinking back and forth back and forth and when I finally thought I had a good answer and then we're already move on to the next topic so that's like one of the struggle I had when I first came here as an international student it took me a while to adjust myself to that kind of like communication style and to be better at it and I guess from seeking job perspective, I think it's the biggest challenge for international students is that you do have a limited amount of time to find a job in the United States. And it's a lot more competitive because a lot of companies, they don't typically offer sponsorship. So the job market after graduation, it's really challenging for many international students, I think. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. I've definitely heard the cultural difference uh, from a lot of different people. Mm -hmm. Um, I think Americans tend to be very emotive, definitely. But I've I've also heard that like with the visa situation and, and finding jobs, that can be a real challenge. But Jay, how about you? Generally, it's just the language itself. Like speaking English is just the biggest challenge for me. Even like in these days, I'm still struggling. Because when I first came to U.S. as an eighth grader, I couldn't even speak hello to uh, American friends. Like, I couldn't even introduce myself in class. So I was just like, didn't even say anything for like (laughs) first six months. And like, that's a really big trauma for me. Uh, I still remember my first day (laughs) in eighth grade. And it's just made me, you know, it just gave me so much hard time to participate in the community. And I just tend to like stay with my Korean friends instead of internationals or, or like American friends, since that's just so much easier for me. Also, like back in Korea, I was really shy and introvert person. But just to like adjust myself uh, in the new culture, I had to like change myself you know, change my attitude, how I speak to people, um, like all my behaviors. Just like what Eileen said, I had to be like pretend. I have to like pretend to be more expressive. (laughs) I think these days I got so much better than that, than I was in like eighth grade. But I just feel like honestly, I'm still struggling with my, you know, English and just the language generally, I think. Wow, that it, it sounds kind of basic, but it's so important how language can play such a big role in how you connect with other people, your peers, your coworkers. And I just personally have so much respect for people who take up English as a second language. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like a mess of a language to learn, <laughs> you know, embedding yourself in an educational environment in a language that's so foreign. So much respect and you know, I just so much admiration for people who do that. So thank you for sharing that experience. Niharja, how about you? Interesting to hear Jay and Aline speak about it. And there are definitely challenges. And that's also not to say that you run out of challenges once you've been here for a while. Um, No matter how long you've been here, 
we face challenges every day firstly there's definitely a geographical challenge because you know no matter how you say like oh the world is connected and the flights are very efficient but that there is a distance there's a huge geographical distance from your home country to where you are and most of the times because of you know video calling and technology today you sometimes don't realize that distance because you're still able to like stay connected with your family with from like video calls and audio calls but sometimes when you just sit and think about it think about the distance it that's when it hits you that oh my god it's really far away and that's more on like the personal side of it coming to the professional side i think i really relate to what aline said about the relationship between professors and students i think that's been a very fundamental difference that i've noticed even in india like how aline was speaking about china i think it's very similar with india where and that's also not to say not to generalize things but i know like it depends from person to person uh, no matter which country you're from but sometimes like the environment of a culture can contribute to some things becoming generalized so in india generally we are taught to be very formal with our teachers and professors and when i say formal that's not to be like indifferent to them but just like if you have a question just think a hundred times before asking that and you know the professors i mean i have had instances where you know if you ask like a really silly question to a professor they might flip out so that just kind of instills in you a hesitation to become really friendly with professors and when i came here that was completely different because i see that professors here are really friendly and they encourage you to ask questions no matter how how silly those questions can be and they just want to be there for you as advisors and more more as someone who can guide you through stuff than like you know a parent or like something that you that you have to be like scared of yeah fortunately for me like like jay said fortunately i i didn't feel like language was such a such a barrier for me because i've spoken english all my life in school as well but another like informal part of it is, is the food you really miss the food of your home country even though it's available everywhere but it's not it doesn't taste the same so yeah <laughs> so many so many different points to cover but yeah i i definitely feel like being indian myself even though i grew up in the united states i definitely feel like there is a different relationship with yeah. like our elders and our teachers between like american culture and like i think asian culture in general yeah so lots of lots of nuances but also lots of big differences for sure yeah and just to echo what um harshali just mentioned also like growing up in the united states but with my family being vietnamese that like i kind of relate to what eileen was talking about because my parents would tell me like think a lot before you say anything in class so growing up like i didn't participate that often or i would do that thing where i would have my hand raised and think about what i was going to say so closely and focus on that so much that by the time i got called on i would forget what i was going to say and then just could not participate even though i was like actively trying to um but yeah you all brought up a lot of interesting things about communication style cuz i think that's emphasized a lot whether you're an international student or if you're a student just like studying abroad for a semester or something i think language karshali mentioned earlier and how jay was talking about it it seems basic but it is just so important because beyond just knowing what these words mean a lot of times there's jokes there's sarcasm 
there's all these colloquial things that if you're not used to that context or that type of culture of using those words, then like things could be really misinterpreted or miscommunicated and things like that. And then, yeah, Naharika, with the geographical distance, it really is like, I can't imagine since I grew up in the United States, but like it is such a sacrifice to um, decide to like spend a couple of years like pursuing um, your education in a different country and being far away, even though like we're, we are in a tech program and technology helps us stay connected, but it isn't the same. Um, but yeah, so thank you all for sharing those experiences um, with us. But now shifting gears to more specifically HCI, how do you think your cross-cultural backgrounds have influenced how you think about technology? So what are kind of like unique characteristics that you think you bring from home to HCI? Yeah, so I've, I have been thinking about this question when you, when you asked it. Honestly, I, I personally can't think of something that's very culture-specific as opposed to something that's just been my personal experience in India. So I can talk about like my experience. So I grew up in a very small town in India, in the north of India, where my parents were doctors. I mean, they're still doctors. Uh, so I have actually witnessed a lot of the lack of technology in healthcare. And when I came, came here to the program, I felt myself immediately drawn towards healthcare informatics because I kind of understand the importance of, of technology and, and information and communication interventions in healthcare. So yeah, I mean, again, I, I don't know if I answered the question perfectly in terms of what my culture brings me here, but more like what my personal experience with like seeing how much healthcare can benefit with, you know, more increased human computer interaction. Yeah, yeah, no worries about feeling that you're not um, answering the specific question. That's a really interesting point you brought up about like your background with your parents being in healthcare and how you kind of have thought through that lens um, in terms of technology. Um, so thanks for sharing that. Um, Jay, how about you? What are some characteristics that you think you bring to HCI based on your Same experience? as um, Niharika, I couldn't think of anything like really significant. But one thing I could say is I feel like Korean culture is more about like group personality. So we usually think, think of our country as like one society, one nation, one people. So we, we tend to like really care about how other people react or how they feel and think about if I say something, they really think about like what I say. So we tend to be more like really careful and cautious about how we speak to each other. And I think it kind of indirectly like shaped my thought about technology because we often tend to think about uh, this term like sustainability more often in physical products or environments usually. But uh, when I think about sustainability in technology, I think about this emotional stress between social interactions, especially in like Facebook and Instagram. I think those kind of things are not considered, really considered in current platforms. But yeah, when I think about those platforms, I don't know. I think like sustainability and technology should be considered more often. Wow. Yeah, that's a that's a great point, especially what you mentioned about like social interaction and how you incorporate that into this idea of sustainability. I think right now, especially in the U.S. at least, I feel like a common trend that we see is like, how can we customize or allow users to customize their own interface? Or how do we add like levels of personalization? But is that helping people stay connected and forming communities? Or is that really mm -hmm. isolating yeah. us? Not sure. Maybe, maybe that's a 
entirely different question altogether. But yeah, that's a great point. Thanks for sharing that. And then lastly, Eileen, uh, would you like to share like what characteristics you bring to HCI along with what Miharika and Jay mentioned? Yeah, I think the aspect about like social interaction and cultural differences in terms of technology was really interesting. And it was a while ago, I was talking to my friend and we found out that actually like TikTok international, so there are two versions of TikTok. The one is for mainland China and then the other is for like all international users. Um, Even though they're the same app basically, but people use it for very different purposes. So I think that's one thing I just kind of like relevant going on that thought about social interactions and technology and I definitely like Aquilis and Harika about like the healthcare and technology because I didn't know that much about like development in healthcare technology before I came to the States and I found out there's so many options and potentials here is a really eye-opening it was really eye-opening experience but I think for me, like having a cross-cultural background is really helpful in UX research to some extent. I think I could even say that it is my weapon because I feel like just having that experience living in both cultures and then especially like coming from psychology perspective as well. I took some cultural cross-cultural psychology classes in undergrad, in undergrad as well. I think it's just like very important to actually realize that we all have our cultural biases and to realize that of other people. And that is really helpful when you're doing research and then talking to different customers, different people from different backgrounds. So maybe they're not from like entirely different culture, they might, but they see you could be from like different age groups, different occupations, different industries. Um, so I think it's really an important to have the empathy to just value the individual differences in cultural diversity. And I think that's something like experiencing different culture has brought me. Yeah, those are all amazing points. I think, you know, uh, as like immigrants or like the children of immigrants, I do get to have one foot in each world. And I think that does enrich us as HCI experts, whether it's research and our design thinking differently about society and or even just like our personal stories and how individuals interact with technology um yeah i think you guys bring so much to the table and really interesting to hear so next question for you guys uh what advice would you give somebody trying to get into the field of hci whether it's as a career or in their education either undergrad or graduate you know what if they live in the uh, live outside of the u.s uh, what what advice would you give them one thing I noticed when I was in this program is I feel like HCI, the term itself, is a really broader field than I thought when I first joined the program. So if a person like only decides to be like a UX researcher or UX designer, which is like really common position that uh, one can follow, but I don't think it's like the right place to be if you're only thinking about that. I think a person should think more about like some other future prospects or opportunities, whether it's in like career or education, since like stuff really shifts really quickly these days. So, and I think it will be like changed so much in two to three years uh, once you join the program. So there might not be any like product design or UX design or, you know, UX research. So I think a person should consider what he or she wants to invest in the long-term future rather than just like what you want to do in 2021. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's mm-hmm. great advice for people, even within the U.S. Yeah, I think you know, being kind of long term and not being too short term in in your vision is definitely valuable. Um, yeah, thanks for sharing that. Harika, how about you? The first thing would be like, particularly for HCI, I think you know you need to be very clear with what you're wanting to do. And I mean, that's not specific to international students, but if I have to talk specifically about international students, I think it's very very important to do your own research. And just how we touched upon before on how like sometimes we kind of shy away from asking questions and reaching out to people. I guess when you're in the process of applying for grad school, it's very important to just reach out to students who are already studying there. And, you know, those could be international students. Like I remember before I was applying, I pretty much had spoken to literally every Indian in the program because it just felt like, you know, I I would just send them like an email (laughs) on LinkedIn. And like we were saying before that things like these can be kind of nerve-wracking when you're not very culturally appropriate to really go be proactive and ask questions but then you have to, you really have to come out of your shell and be proactive in asking questions and reaching out to people so first would be this and the second advice is kind of what Jay said but in a different way like how Jay emphasized the importance of a long-term plan I would essentially look at it and that's not to say that I don't agree with that. I completely agree that you have to have your long-term plans very properly focused. But I also feel like when you are living in a different country and on a visa, the things are very unpredictable. So sometimes you have to be very adaptable to any kind of change that comes in and not just in terms of like, and I know the visa thing and everything is influenced by a lot of factors, whether it's you know, your personal family situation, or if it's the political climate, there are multiple things that affect how you see your security in terms of future. So I feel like you have to be kind of adaptable in the sense of like taking anything that comes in the sense that, okay, maybe four months ago, you were planning on doing a job right after graduation, but things changed. And now you're looking to continue your degree. And, you know, so just just being very adaptable to whatever comes in. And that's not to say to like compromise on your vision or your passion or anything, but just to make the best out of the situation that's in front of you. That's so true. Yeah. You always have to have like a backup plan. Yeah. 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 And that's, that's to say like, think a bit short term as well. Sometimes what can benefit me immediately and make my situation better, like in the next three months. True. I, I feel like the advice you guys are giving is like, I'm learning and I would take this advice myself. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think to your second point, especially we've seen in the last year or so, international yeah, students have yeah. had to be on their toes. I If we don't get a job right after college, we don't get to take like a gap year to like figure things out. Um, mm-hmm. So you really need to have plans, whether it's short term or long term. Yeah, absolutely. You, you guys just think so much. I could not handle the stress. Yeah. <laughs> Kudos to you guys. I think what both Jay and Harika said was like so important. So, so important, especially like having a plan to plan your research and being adaptable. I think those are probably the most important if you want to come here for school or program. I think like in terms of choosing schools, a lot of people will look at the reputation, the global ranking or something like that. But I think like a program, it's more than its ranking. And if you're really passionate about the subject, the area of study, you should really do research into the program and what's like the unique aspect of this program. 
and like what kind of experience or learning you could take away from this experience instead of like just looking at the numbers and definitely like be ready to reach out to people and just be brave to talk to people about your concerns your questions and just trust that people will be really be really nice to answer your questions and like in terms of choosing schools i think like in addition to rankings and then the programs also like factors to consider maybe do you want to be stuck in a rural area for two years in your life or different setting because <laughs> my my undergrad was like really in a kind of small town and then it was like 20 minutes on the train to philadelphia but that train never came on time so you never know when you can actually get to the city and I was there for four years, so I finally decided I want to come to some place that is like more urban-like. And I found out about Georgia Tech, and, and I thought like, oh, Atlanta is a city. Cool, I'll go there. Um, so that's one of the reasons I applied as well. And yeah, I think having lots of plans and backup plans when you're in the program because you never know what could happen. And just like really try hard because you're an international student. That means you're, if you want to look for a job in the United States, you have to be a lot more competitive than a lot of people. I don't know if that's the right way to say it, but I think you have to have a really good profile to earn interest of their of your hires and just be prepared to face a lot of uncertainties i think for example like we never imagined this year the pandemic would hit and then so like if your visa were to expire soon for international students it's probably to consider the possibility that you cannot renew your visa if something happened so do things early and plan for like uncertainties of not being to go back home because I don't know when will be the next time I can finally go back home. Wow, yeah, such, such great advice. And like Harshali mentioned, advice that not only can students or prospective students that live outside the U.S. can take, but also things that we can take too. I think it's great that all three of you mentioned that you reached out to people to like learn more about the program or because I remember talk, I didn't talk to anyone. <laughs> and I think I'm just lucky in that sense, I guess. And I, it is a privilege to um, be able to have that option of taking a gap year. Um, I think Naharika, you mentioned like to um, focus on side projects or something, but I think another term is taking a year to find yourself or whatever. Thing that people say but uh, but yeah thanks for providing that advice for us a lot of really good things um, and it is crazy not only having a plan of applying to this program or any program but then what would happen if you didn't get into the program what happens if you do what's your six-month plan one-year plan and all of those different alternatives it's really crazy to think about how you all have to think about all of those aspects but yeah thank you for sharing that as we're kind of winding down this episode here. So it's finally time for a segment we really enjoy, which is our hot takes. So can each of you provide an example of something that's uniquely quote unquote, like American HCI? So what's like a design, research, maybe interaction or technology even that to an international student feels like really crazy? Eileen, would you like to share first? Sure. So I think that for me is a really difficult question. I had to first think about what American design means to me. So like instead of like thinking of American design, I just like kind of searched in my mind the fields I found interesting. And I thought 
Recently, I've been quite interested in emotional design. And John Norman, who's also the author for The Design of Everyday Things, the Bible in HCI, is also a founding figure in this field of research. I just thought like that area is something I've been really interested in. And I searched online, John Norman is actually American. So I guess that qualifies as American <laughs> um, HCI thing. Uh, but yeah, so it's basically like using design to evoke um, certain emotions, potentially positive emotions in your customers to um, get to improve your user experience. And I think that was interesting because in my undergrad, I was actually also involving a lot of research in emotional memory. And I definitely can see like how emotion could be an important future aspect to be invested, investigated in HCI in the near future. The reason I elected to be like uniquely American is also because I think Americans in general have a lot of emotions, <laughs> like exp um, explicitly. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's super interesting. Well, I remember actually talking to someone recently about what they thought good design was, and they used the term emotional design, and they said that if you like held a product and you could describe it as if it was a person then that's good design so if you held up this coffee mug and you're like oh wow like this I love this it brings me joy in the same way like a human would then it's good design but yeah thanks for sharing that um, that's quite a take love the Don Norman um, shout out as well Jay would you like to share what your hot take is on something that's like uniquely American mm, I don't know like HCI what's general? American HCI first of all I feel like a lot of stuff are more globalized these days, so I'm not really sure what is American, what is not American. But maybe I could say Tinder. <laughs> but <laughs> first, I thought it was really American, like a few years ago. But these days, there are so many like similar apps to Tinder. Trees, especially in Korea, there are like I don't know four to five different apps really similar to Tinder. They have like different functionalities, but basically, like the goal is pretty much same allowing strangers to meet each other. But if you mean like being American, American HCI, like technology that works in America, but not in other countries, I would say this ride-sharing technology. I think it only works in America because it doesn't really work in back in Korea. I think the purpose is to, you know, give some job opportunities to anyone who can just drive and they can just share rides together, stuff like that. But the same purpose doesn't really work in Korea because, you know, we have like a really strong community of these taxi drivers. So like if we let, if we allow that technology to come to our country, then, you know, it's going to ruin the whole community and it's not going to work. So in that sense, I think that's American <laughs> HCI. <laughs> yeah that's interesting yeah it's interesting you brought up like how strong and close-knit like the the taxi or community or cab community is in korea i think it was similar i was in europe for studies or whatever um, a couple semesters ago and in italy it was kind of the same sense except there was an app for not necessarily ride sharing but like i guess like we have uber mm -hmm. and lyft and all that but then like uber eats and then they would have that too, except it was never a car that delivered your food. It was always someone on a bike 
so that was interesting so i wonder if that would that might happen and maybe uber eats or maybe the food delivery side is fine but yeah mm -hmm. that's interesting the ride sharing probably wouldn't work in all cultures so thanks for bringing that up um naharika what's yeah. your hot uh, take yeah oh, okay so yeah like oh, like jay said that it's a little ambiguous about like what's particularly american and what's not but when i think about a technology or particularly HCI research that really fascinated me and just in terms of I had never heard of any such thing before coming here was actually kind of like a subdomain or like a field of human computer interaction that's called animal computer interaction um, and it's very interesting because I was also working in the animal computer interaction lab in my first semester and for me it's just it blows my mind to see how much how much the research here has been able to extract out of guide dogs or like, you know, cows. And there was some research going on with dolphins as well. So that's pretty interesting. And that's not to say like that it's a different kind of technology, but for me, it was just like only in America. <laughs> but um, yeah, like when I think back to like uh, the potential of something like animal computer interaction working in India, even though I think it would be very, very beneficial because in India, we have a problem of like stray animals or like, you know, just animals not being treated in a way that they deserve to. So if we can, you know, work in just take the technology that we have here and then just transport it somehow and work in that sense, it would be pretty cool. So, yeah, I think something that was just I had no idea about before coming here was the field of animal computer interaction. Yeah, nice. I think that that phrase you use only in America, I think is really funny because when you were talking about the animal computer interaction, I think in America, like at least from my perspective, there is yeah. a lot of emphasis on like yeah. pets yeah. and animals. But yeah, that's a great point. Thanks for bringing that up. Um, Hershali, do you have a hot take you'd like to share with us today? <laughs> uh, sure. So first, I think Niharika, I heard about animal <laughs> computer interaction because of you. Like, you are the one who... Yeah. I think it's pretty cool. And I think it's very unique uh, to Georgia Tech. And it's, it's very interesting, the work that's going on in the lab. I think so, yeah. I think it's just super <laughs> neat. I'm like, only at Georgia Tech, you know? <laughs> yeah, but my hot take, uh, I think... I don't know if this is, like, uniquely American, but maybe just, like, kind of Western generally, um, is that I think a lot of design trends come out of the Western world, um, especially when it comes to, like, design trends in technology, the way UIs are designed. or like And, like, one thing I really enjoyed about Black Panther, the movie, was how it combined African aesthetics with technology. And I think I would love to see more of that. I think design is very like, fixated on, like, Western design sensibilities or, like, aesthetic sensibilities. I just, like, being Indian myself, I would love to see more, like, Indian aesthetics and colors and forms and, like, shapes being incorporated into design, just because I think they're, like, way prettier. Yeah, so that's, like, kind of my hot take. I'm, <laughs> we need to move away from just, that's like, so true. Indian people, like, defining. <laughs> yeah. That's why everything looks like, the same. <laughs> everything's based on, like, Bauhaus and the German school of design and stuff like that. But yeah, that, that's my hot take. But tossing it back to you now, what's your hot take? Oh, yeah, I really liked what you just mentioned, Harshali, about how things seem to be like very Western focused. I guess I have, I had something in mind at first, um, which I guess I'll get to. But building off of that, I guess with this question, rather than something that's like an example of something that's uniquely American, I just feel like there are things that we do in America that's just not as good as how people in other countries do it. So for example, vending machines. I see so many I see so many videos of like how in Japan or Korea or 
uh, China. They have vending machines that you can get like a whole pizza, you can get a full meal, and it's like heated up for you and everything. And then in the US, it's outside a gas station. The best thing I could get is like a bag of chips mm -hmm. and maybe a soft drink. <laughs> I just don't get it. Mm -hmm. Like, we have Bluetooth earbuds and all this other crazy stuff. People are working on machine learning and artificial intelligence, but we can't get pizza vending machines here. I don't get it. And then that was kind of just going off of what you all talked about. But my other thing was just in terms of like social interaction, I think it's interesting how <laughs> Americans like value every holiday. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> like, not that it's bad, but... Um, I get holidays like, okay, Christmas, you have Thanksgiving, you have Valentine's Day, you have Labor Day, you have every month there's something. And it's a good excuse, I guess, for people to get together, people to celebrate things. But then it's like, why is, why do I, why do I feel the need to go buy chocolate? Because like I saw these things or I don't know, I just think it's a little weird because I feel like they're not as emphasized in other cultures. Like people are more maybe chill about it. Maybe it goes back to what Eileen was talking about with how Americans are so like emotional. So they feel the need to celebrate everything. But yeah, that's my hot take, I guess. I think like other cultures celebrate holidays as much as we do. I think in America, it's more yeah. of a mm -hmm. consumer behavior. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was, I just, just, I was like, actually coming to that, but like it's, it's actually it's surprising to me just how capitalist holidays are in America. Like, it's insane. Like, especially from uh, October to December, when you enter a grocery store, like, you can just know which month it is just by looking at the grocery store. Because, like, it'll be Halloween, then everything will be Thanksgiving, and then now it's all Christmas. So, yeah, I think it's become more about how pretty is my Christmas tree or how pretty is my decoration as opposed to am I meeting my family or spending time with them. Yeah, I feel like lately it moves really quickly, too. Like, the past couple years, yeah, like you said, you can see, like, what yeah. month it is based on what's in the store. But I feel like you walk in, <laughs> yeah. it's not even Halloween yeah. yet, and there are Christmas trees. <laughs> Mm. Well, those were some interesting hot takes, despite the crazy question. So thank you. And um, just to wrap up here, we just want to thank you so much to Jay, Eileen, and Niharita for joining us on this episode. Um, I feel like I learned a lot from you guys. I know now learned a lot. We're just so honored to have you guys share your stories and your challenges yeah, and your you advice on us. this episode with us. Yeah, thank, you. thank you for the opportunity. This is my like first time podcast <laughs> participation. Same. It's so exciting. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, thanks so much for sharing your stories and everything. We really enjoyed listening to them. I know I messaged Harshali during this on our HCI Slack, tearing up over some of the things you've mentioned. So thank you for taking this moment to be like vulnerable with us and everything. And to all of our listeners out there, tune in next time for an episode where we talk about the fun world of physical prototyping. Because if you know, you know. And if you don't, yikes.